Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeBone, and this is a happy, hippie place for talking all things magic, witches and fiction, and creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 435 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit. And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find links to all kinds of stuff. I got a lot of links today. I got a lot of links. What do we have here? We have, there are two spots open on the Dream Team over on Patreon, and that is an amazing tier because if you sign up at that tier, you get all the content of the other tiers. You get invited to a mid-month live mastermind that we do for a couple of hours in the middle of every month, and then you get a 60-minute one-on-one coaching call with yours truly. So if you're interested in that, check it out. There's a link to both Shadow Love and the Spring Transition Module of the Psycho Spiritual Wheel of the Year, because both of those, right now, I am currently rocking a 40% off discount code for both of those because it's we're entering into the season of shadow work. So the code for that is shadow selfie, shadow selfie, no spaces, all lowercase, and it'll automatically roll 40% off your order if you want to grab that. What else do I have links to there? There's a link to a video that I'll talk about later. That's free content for you. And then there'll be a link to Emily Barrett's Twitter account because Emily Barrett is the patron of the month and we got a little interview with her tacked on to the end of the show here that I hope that you will stick around for and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to move quickly here today so we can get to that interview and I cut down on the rambling cuz you know I'm such a big old rambler but I definitely have to take time to thank the new patrons that have joined Joined me over on Patreon, who are supporting the podcast that way, supporting the kid and I. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jessica Anderson. Hello, Elizabeth LaPaul again, and D Bonanza again. Am I saying that right? D Bonanza. Yes. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies. Welcome, Joshua. Thank you, Jessica Van Poperange. And there's more. Scroll up, scroll up, Joe, scroll up. Monica Mann, Elizabeth Brinks, and Heidi. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for helping the kid and I keep the lights on. I hope you're loving all of the content over there. There's tons of it. You can go back through months previous and just knock yourself out. Have fun over there. And then speaking of having fun over there, I have a very fun spontaneous announcement to make. It's not spontaneous in this moment, but it was a spontaneous idea that I presented over on Patreon and got a lot of 
positive feedback for. So I'm like, yeah, let's do this thing. I asked the group, do you want to revisit, it's a revisit for me, Christopher Penzax, The Inner Temple of Witchcraft, and do that for the Brave Tier for an entire year, like go through that book lesson by lesson. It'll be a little bit longer than a year because there's a few introductory chapters and then it actually moves moon by moon. So there's 13 chapters that you go through. So I thought once a month we can do a chapter and go through this whole, It for me, it was part of my first year and a day that ended with this self-initiation into witchcraft. And I didn't even realize when I was asking the group, do you all want to do this? Wouldn't it be fun to go through the entire book together for a year plus? I didn't even realize that at the end of it, when it's time to do our initiation ritual, I will have been a witch, an official, out-of-the-closet, self-labeled witch for an entire decade. So what a fun way to like bookend an entire decade. So I'm really, really, really stoked about it, and I'm telling you here now, so you can grab your copy of The Inner Temple of Witchcraft and join us, or you can pick up a copy. The book's been out for a long time now, so you can probably get a used copy for not much. I recommend getting the actual book, like the physical book, so you can highlight it and dog ear it and, and love it up, love it up till it's falling apart, because it's a great... I love that book because, well, my first year in a day, my first, my only year in a day, I... It was my second time going around the wheel of the year. I followed a wheel of the year just in terms of like sabbats and the seasons and pausing every six weeks or so. I did that leading up to then doing like an official year in a day. I just wanted to go through that. Even though I'm not a Wiccan, that is typically what Wiccans do. They'll often do it with a coven or some kind of group or like I said, you can self-initiate. You can you can do the process yourself. And I did it using Christopher Pinzak's The Inner Temple of Witchcraft and Marion Green's A Witch Alone. I say this all the time here on the show, but it's the truth. It's really, it's really what happened. And I loved how those two books work together because The Inner Temple of Witchcraft is... I actually knew a lot of the content in that book because it's a lot of mind magic. I think it's very foundational. For magic, it's some energy magic and mind magic. It's really about like the power of the mind. He goes through the hermetic principles and I think how to make an energy ball, if I'm remembering correctly, just like the foundation of a practice as a witch. I loved that. And the Marianne Green's book, and they're both, by the way, divided into 13 chapters, which is perfect because there are 13 moon cycles in a year. So they it worked really well together. Marion Green's book is more about nature and connecting with the environment and the land you live in and all of that. So I thought I was kind of getting the best of both worlds for that year and a day. And I have tons of affection for that period in my life. I busted out my old book of shadows once I was like, I think we're going to do this. I think we're going to do this. Yeah, let's do it. And my my book of shadows is so cute. I had a lot of time on my hands that year, apparently, because <laughs> I used a fine tip Sharpie. I used a collection of colored fine tip Sharpies to illustrate 
every sabbat, every tarot reading, every herb I came across, like this whole thing is illustrated. I illustrated the phases of the moon. It was, it's so cool. I love going back through that now. So if you're thinking about doing the inner temple of witchcraft as a journey with us all as a group, I recommend at least getting yourself a journal. But if you've never made your own book of shadows, that might be fun to do too. Also, 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 and this is just on a personal note, but I'm literally buzzing about this, like physically vibrating. I'm so damn excited that I am going to be sharing the first three chapters of this novel I've been telling you all about forever. I'm going to start the querying process with agents on March 5th, which is a really important anniversary that just so happens to coincide with Pit Mad over on Twitter. It's a pitching contest. If you don't know what Pit Mad is, where people pitch their novels in the space of a tweet. Very challenging, but I'm going to use that as my launch pad to reinforce this March 5th anniversary for me and also to kick off the querying process. In preparation for that, I am sharing the first three chapters of my novel with the Witchy Writer's Journey podcast over on Patreon. And it's just so exciting to be at this place. And what I would have to say to you all about that is if you're working on a dream or a project, particularly a creative project, I think as frustrating as it can be and as as much in a hurry as you may feel, it's really worth giving yourself as much time as you need to get it up to your own standards. You should be wildly, crazily, madly, in love with the thing before you offer it up to other people. And I don't know why this is just not obvious to me, but as a creative person, I've put tons of things out into the world that I felt like I could do better, but, you know, I'm just like in such a hurry to share it. I just want to share it and then make another thing. And But this was very special to me and very important to me, and I'm so glad that I let it take as much time as it needed to be the thing that I could be so proud of. And that's how I feel about it now. And it was such a journey getting to this point. So that's why I'm kind of like, I'm like buzzing with excitement about finally sharing it. And typically what I understand from an outsider's perspective, from the outside looking into the publishing industry and studying the publishing industry, like reading what agents have to say about what they're looking for. Typically, if they like your query, they'll usually ask for the first three chapters. So I thought, okay, I'll share the first three chapters with that with that group of people and kind of put like a survey with it. Like at any point, are you bored or confused? So they can give me a heads up and then it gives me a little bit of time to, you know, if a lot of people are confused at the same point, it gives me time to spiffy that up, spiffy that up. But come hell or high water, March 5th, it is on people. It is on. Talk about creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. <laughs> ah, this is the kick-ass life of my dreams. And also, I mean, just so obvious again 
the journey really is the creation. The journey really is the destination. And I'm at this place where I'm like, this is it. This is the kick-ass life of my dreams. Anything that happens beyond this point that's good is just icing on the cake. I am in the cake. I'm loving the cake and it tastes fabulous. Fabulous. And I, I, you know, this is my year of groovy. My, my word of the year is groovy. And that's partly because I want to launch this second career. I want to keep doing Hippie Witch. I want to keep doing Kick-Ass Witch. I want to keep doing all of that. But then I want to launch a serious career in publishing. I want to find an agent. I want to find a publisher and kick off this process of hopefully publishing a five-book fantasy series about, yes, witches. Are you shocked? Witches and tarot and Big Sur and all my favorite things. <laughs> so the word groovy was like, don't freak out. Don't stress out. Don't turn into a type A maniac, Joe. Be nice and easy about it. Enjoy the process. I think I'm going to want to remember this year forever, and I don't want to remember it as being a hot mess of stress. So it was groovy is the right word for me at this time, but it's funny too that I feel like I'm coming full circle with some things. Like I was talking about the inner temple of witchcraft. It's like I just realized after telling everybody like, yeah, let's do this, that like, oh my goodness, that's going to take me through a whole decade, you know, this awesome book ending of the birth of Joanna the Witch. And then I also, I took a year off of tarot, like tarot, tarot cards, because I wanted to explore the wisdom of the Oracle, this deck by Colette Baron reed I think I had just... I don't know. I guess I just got sick of tarot. I had been working with the Rider-Waite-Smith for, system for a long time. I still have my beloved Tarot Illuminati deck, which is my favorite. Like that was always sitting next to my bedside there. It's just like a comforting thing because it's my favorite. And then in the kitchen, I have the Herbal Tarot. And I would occasionally pull cards from the Herbal Tarot when I was in the kitchen hanging out. But like my daily draw was... Colette Baron reads The Wisdom of the Oracle. I think that's a fa- fabulous deck. It's a really, really great deck. And I'm not typically an oracle person, but I definitely got a lot out of working with that book, specifically the with that deck, I should say, but specifically the book that came with it. There's a lot of wisdom in that little book, and I found it really helpful. But then at the top of the year, I'm like, I need to go back to my Tarot Illuminati. I miss it. And what I found is at some point along the line, I had lost my Queen of Swords. You know how important Queen of Swords is to me, right? Queen of Swords and Athena are synonymous in my mind. My Queen of Swords card is my Athena card, and it is a really special totem for me. And so I was like, where's my Queen of Swords? And I went and counted out all the cards, and I realized two cards were missing, the Queen of Swords and the Ten of Cups. I know they're not lost. What they probably are is stuck in a book someplace. I probably either had some, like, Instagram photo session or posted something on Patreon with those cards in it, 
and then they ended up like tucked into a book or I was doing some journal. They're somewhere around here. And there's a 99% chance they're tucked into a journal or a book. <laughs> but I dug this part, this house apart, trying to find specifically my queen of swords. But ten of cups, too, is a very important card. And I, I can't read with an incomplete deck. I have a whole other aside. I'm just going to tangent here. I said I wouldn't ramble, but I can't help it. That's what my brain does. <laughs> I used to read with the Golden Tarot by Cat Black. It's a really gorgeous card with a Renaissance vibe. And it's a, it's, the images are made out of collage. It's quite beautiful. It has the gold gilded edges that I love. I read with that deck for a long time. And then I had this thing... <laughs> where I wanted to work with Archangel Michael. And so I set it up in a window in my bedroom. And my bedroom is not properly insulated. And there's like a gap in the window that the card fell down between the wall, like in the crack of the window, between like this this little hole in the wall and down underneath my house somewhere with the possums and the dirt and the uck and the muck and the mosquitoes. Like, it's gone. This was years ago, but it still to this day drives me bananas. I want to have, like, a shining moment. Like, here's Johnny! Get the axe and, like, tear up the floorboards to find this missing card! And I've never read with that deck since because you can't read with the deck with the missing card! It just doesn't feel right to me. So... I had another moment like that, but with the Tarot Illuminati. And then I remembered that one of you fine people, when my first Tarot Illuminati deck was ruined with essential oils, and they all like stuck together and got ruined, not all, but many of them, I was complaining about it here on the podcast, and one of you fine, wonderful, magical people wrote to me and said, I have that deck and you can have mine because I don't read with it. You sent me the deck. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I read with it all the time. I love it. It's my favorite. I remembered that deck. And so I went digging in my old, this convertible altar that I have in the living room. And I dug out my old one because I didn't get rid of it. And I was like, please, 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 please don't let the Queen of Swords and the Ten of Cups be the cards that got messed up and stuck together. And, you know, it like ripped the art off when, you know, when paper sticks together and you try to rip it apart, it'll rip the images off. I was hoping it wasn't any of those, either of those cards, and it wasn't. The Queen of Swords and the Ten of Cups were perfect. So I added them. I took them from one deck, added them to the other. It's all perfect and happy and good. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because an exercise emerged that I thought you might find useful. I found, I, this is something I've done before because I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I like order. I like things orderly. But in this moment when I did it, I laid out all the cards, this is when I was trying to figure out which card beside the Queen of Cups was missing. I didn't realize it was the Ten of Cups. So I laid all the cards out in order, suit by suit by suit by suit, the Major Arcana, and that's how it's like, oh, it's the Ten of Cups that's missing. But I found that in laying them out in order like that, 
it brought order to my mind. It was a bit like playing solitaire, like witchy solitaire. It was a very relaxing process. And I've done this in the past too. I just, I don't know why. I like to lay out my tarot cards and see them all in order. And then of course you like give them a good shuffle before you're going to do a reading. But if you're a person who's feeling very scattered and chaotic, there's a lot of energy like flying around here in 2020, maybe that would be a cool exercise for you to try to try to bring some order to your mind. A process like that just feels really resonant with what I am naturally inclined to do this time of year anyway. To do decluttering and to kind of take inventory on my life after the holidays, once the dark half of the year is lifting and I'm like, holy crap, I'm seeing cobwebs and dust that I didn't know were there because I live in an old house. So during the dark half of the year, it's dark in the corners and out of sight, out of mind. And then the light starts returning and I'm like... Hey now, oh, maybe I should clean up there. And I think, you know, we're all packing up the holiday decorations and things like that in January. There's a lot of accumulation that happens with presents. So it's just a time, you know, when the light half of the year starts kicking in that we all tend to lean toward spring cleaning, decluttering, space clearing. And that leads me to the video that I just posted. You can follow the link here if you haven't seen it yet over on YouTube. It's called, What If It Doesn't Spark Joy? What If It Doesn't Spark Joy? The Shadow in Your Closet. And it's about shadow work in conjunction with decluttering. To me, decluttering is just part of the shadow work process. They just go together to me perfectly. It's right now, as I'm recording this, it's February Eve. So happy Imolk, everybody. For me, Imolk kicks off the spring transition, which then takes, it's like that period of time between Imolk and spring equinox that I call the spring transition. That's why I discounted shadow love and the spring transition module, because they both have to do with Shadow work, shadow work, because Imolk happens right around the time that we're celebrating Groundhog Day. And that's all about seeing shadows and how much spring do we get this year. And so somehow all these things go together in my mind. And I was, I've just been talking about shadow work and thinking about shadow work and another interesting little bit of synchronicity that happened. A happy little accident was I was, I had just gotten done with an interview that I did for Abiola Abrams podcast. I'll let you all know when that comes out. And I got up from behind my desk in my office and I looked down and there was this dark gray pattern on the floor with like footprints in it and (laughs) weird shapes. And I was like, what is this? It had been really windy, like the wind was blowing through the air conditioning unit. So I thought, how did I not notice this before? And what the hell is this? So I busted up the, I busted out the vacuum cleaner and went to 
vacuum up what I thought was dust, like before I stepped on it and settled it into the carpet, and it didn't budge. It didn't come up off the carpet. And so I got down on my hands and knees like, what the hell is this? And I realized it was an old stain. This office used to be, gosh, we we used to have a band, my ex-husband and I, in this house. We had a punk rock band called Obedient Waves, but also he had a recording studio that he ran out of this room that is now my office. And so bands would come in and out of here all the time with their heavy equipment, and much of wine was spilled on the carpet. And if you, like me, have cheap crappy tan apartment carpet. (laughs) This is a home, but we have that cheap, crappy tan apartment carpet that is like common in apartments everywhere. If you have carpet like that, you know that you can clean the crap out of it. It looks beautiful. It looks gorgeous. And then a year later, two years later, three years later, the stains will rise back up to the surface. I had forgotten that this happens and that is what that weird funky shape on my floor was. It was an old wine stain that had risen up to the surface and I was like, oh my god, that's such a shadow thing because you can do your shadow work, you can do your shadow work and you think I am now spotless and clean, I am a completely tidy individual. (laughs) You think you're over something and then life circles back around and then you're like, oh my God, not that again? I thought I had worked through all that shit. And I find the shadow is like that. I like to take Imolk as an opportunity to revisit the shadow work that I did back in Samhain. And I think it's really great just to get into a rhythm, a rhythm with the shadow work because the shadow is always there. It's with you wherever you go. Those Shadow patterns were programmed into place before you even knew what was happening. And so sometimes, like my dirty stained carpet, they rise back to the surface. And I think we can greet them as another opportunity to take our healing to the next level. So it's like your spiritual journey is a spiral. It's not a circle. It's not like you're coming back around full circle on it, speaking of full circle earlier, it's more like a spiral. So you're revisiting the same issue, but from a new perspective, from a new layer of growth. And so you get to heal it at that level. And then the next time it circles back around, hopefully you'll have more spiritual maturity and you can just keep unwinding that old unpatterned old unpattern. What is an unpattern? I don't know. You can keep unwinding that old pattern year after year after year after year. As I just wrote down in my day planner today, this quote from Carl Jung, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. You will call it fate. Let us not call it fate. Let us call it an opportunity to take the reins of our life, like the king and queen of our own life, and actually like steer how many reins can, I was going to say steer this ship. I do this. I start blending metaphors, kings and queens and horses and ships. (laughs) Create the kick-ass life of your dreams like the witch you know yourself to be, friends. (laughs) 
And now I guess I should just segue right into this interview with the lovely Emily Barrett. I love doing these patron of the month interviews. I absolutely want to keep reaching out to thought leaders in the realm of personal development and magic. I'm excited to bring more authors on the show, particularly authors of witchy fiction. But I have found I just love also bringing you all on the show and showing that we all have wisdom to share and, and also just showing off how awesome this community is. I am regularly dumbfounded by the awesomeness I have surrounded myself by starting this podcast. It's incredible. It's incredible the people that I've met. And so Emily is fun because she's at the very, very beginning of her journey as an author. As an author, she's still working on the first draft of her first novel, and I thought, Perfect. Perfect. I want to bring someone on the show who is creating the kick-ass life of their dreams and talk about where they are at in the process. We talk about some shadowy stuff and fear, things like that. But I, I think it's great to share the process at all levels. So here is the lovely Emily Barrett. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hi, Joanna. How are you? Very good. I'm so excited to have you on the show. This is really fun. You have no idea. This is like dream come true for me. So I feel the same way. You're so present on Discord. I feel like you show up there a lot and I get a chance to kind of talk with you behind the scenes. And we have a dream in common. Yes, we which do. Is, yeah, we do. We also have a name in common. I have a fantasy dog that I do not own that I've always wanted to name Henry. And I just remember <laughs> when I first was telling you that, you're like, my son's name is Henry. And I was like, not the same thing, but I think we have a similar affection for that name. Yes, I knew as, you know, before um, I even knew I was having a boy, I hoped I was because I was pretty set on that name. So it worked out pretty good for me. (laughs) Oh, you're such a great mom too. Thank you. So let's tell people what you're trying to balance with motherhood and a day job and what that's all about for you. I am currently in the process of writing the first draft in a series that I hope to get published one day. So I'm not set on the name of this series, but I think it will be The Trials of Imperium. The first book will be called The Mimic. I love that name. I like that. I actually like the name of the series too, but The Mimic just, it sounds like something, doesn't it? It it does. And it's so funny because originally the book was called Imperium and something just like kept wanting me to switch it. And then I switched it and I'm like, this is, this just fits the story so much better. So it really worked out. And I'm glad that I revisited it so that I could come up with a name that kind of represents the story a little bit better. It's YA, right? Right. Um, I might consider, I know there's a whole controversy with the new adult, you know, it's kind of in the balance, I guess. I feel like there's just a lot of fluctuation in what makes a genre a genre. I feel like it changes and I can't keep up with any of it. Oh, I know. It's it's next to impossible. And then as far as young adult goes, you have to see some people, what some people consider acceptable to put in a young adult 
series, others don't. And it's kind of, you know, there's that controversy there where you're not sure what's appropriate and what's not. That's why the new adult is kind of coming up a little bit more because it's more meant for people closer to my age because I'm 24. So it's meant yeah. for like, like late teens and 20s. So that way it can have a little bit more mature content, but still have that. Because I know we talked about this on Discord. I love that first person perspective. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I love that about YA. So it's kind of keeping a lot of the same, the bones of YA, but you can have a little bit more freedom. So I'm still undecided about the genre, but. I was just reading a piece. I feel like it was in Publishers Weekly, maybe. It was Tomi Ejami. She has the sequel out now to Children of Blood and Bone. And whoever was interviewing her asked about the contents of her next book. It's so violent and it's so graphic and people are going through really heavy things. And does she think that's appropriate for YA and she made a really good point. She said, well, these kids are growing up with the internet. They, they know what trauma is. They see the wars that are going on. They see that Australia is burning. And so I do think it's appropriate because they're already steeped in that. And at least fiction now can give them a healthy, safe arena to talk about the issues that are already being imposed on them by the internet. And I thought, oh, well, that's, that's a good answer. That is such a great point. I actually have that book like sitting in my car right now. The sequel, I'm like, right, that's on my next to read because I just finished the uh, Iron Flower, the second book in the Black Witch Chronicles. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. But but that is such a good point because I think that thinking back to things that I went through and experienced at, you know, 15, 16, 17, I don't think that there could have been a single thing in a book, especially YA that I read, that really would influence me one way or another. And sometimes I think we really don't give our teens enough credit and how resilient they are, especially you know, kids nowadays are so involved in politics. They're so caught up on current events. And to me, when I, when I was younger and I read something in a book that really resonated with me and something that I was experiencing at the time, whether some might call it age appropriate or not, that would make me gravitate towards a series or a book that much more. If you even think about Lori Halsey Anderson, she's a very common YA author and she wrote Speak. And, you know, it's a trigger warning, but, but it's a book about rape and it's for teenagers and it's terrible, you know, to read. It's, it's heartbreaking. But I also think that it's almost necessary in a way. Um, oh my gosh. It's so, so many teenagers go through that. It's the whole issue of representation. Seeing yourself reflected in fiction is really important, especially if you're going through something so harrowing. Yeah, exactly. I think that it almost can act as, I don't want to say a listening ear, but, but that sense of solidarity, because sometimes they can't talk to their parents about something they're going through or their teachers or their friends. And myself, especially, I used fiction as an escape for, you know, reading as an escape for basically my entire childhood. 
And I think that that is so true for so many people who grew up loving books. And I think it would almost be doing a disservice if not censoring something, but to, to stay away from certain subjects when you're writing something for teenagers seems yeah. counterproductive when life doesn't, uh, they won't determine, differentiate between if it's a teenager or adult experiencing something. Um, life just happens to people. So, mm-hmm. I mean, of course you're responsible for your own life and everything, but there are things that are out of our control. And if a fiction book can help prepare somebody later down the road or help them come to terms with something that already happened, I think that's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. So the mimic, are you saying that there's sensitive material in there or that this is just something that's currently on your mind? Well, it's very much on my mind right now. But I mean, my main character smokes cigarettes not throughout the entire book she ends up giving it up, but I, I really liked that character flaw. And that was something that I was sort of worried about when I was writing it because, you know, I'm writing, if I'm writing this for teenagers, I don't want to glorify smoking and she also drinks. So, but I, I like to try and tackle this subject in the most tactful way possible. And I think that it really does add to the story. So I guess that's probably where my viewpoint on it has come because, I mean, any teenager, you can't tell me you didn't get offered a cigarette or a drink or, you know, at 16 or 17. So, And you probably um, tried it too. Exactly. So I think that it's easier to relate to somebody that is not perfect. And and a lot of the time, and this is in no way bashing um, YA books at all, but I see a lot of the similar of a similar main character in certain books where it's like the the female main character is more timid, really good at school, focused on school, academic. Um, normally, they don't have any experience with boys, and definitely with their a popular trope for sure. Exactly, and sometimes it's like, well, what about? you know, the girls who struggle in school or, or boys that struggle in school or their relationship with their parents wasn't great, you know, or, or things like that. And I think it's really important to be inclusive when it comes to, to writing, but come from an authentic place. Yes. I was, I was a lost child in high school and I definitely would have loved to have an author writing from my perspective because it's, it's a lonely place to be because a lot of times if you're a person like that, if you're like the party kid or you're the fuck up, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you have a really tough armor, like an exterior that is actually isolating. People think that you're very cool or you're trying to make people think that you're very cool. And then inside you're kind of suffering. So to have a book that you can hide away in your room and see yourself reflected in it, I think is empowering. Yes, because not everybody, there could be a million people just like you, but you don't get to the heart of people as quickly. And and somebody could be just like you and you don't even know it. So, and teenagers are not, and I'm speaking from experience because I was one not that long ago. Um, I, you know, I, I felt this way. I don't know that I would have reiterated all of those feelings that I kept inside to my friends and family, like you had said. So I really didn't get that validation from them because they didn't really know what was happening in the first place, you know, Mm -hmm. but 
But reading it in a book, it gave me that validation, like somebody else has felt this way. And then seeing them overcome it, which they always inevitably do, you know, that's what we look for in a story. Right. Um, it's empowering. Yeah. Yeah. Are you thinking, how, how many books are in your series? I'm thinking there's going to be three. I'm not entirely decided yet, actually. Are um, you trying to take this character on a beginning, middle, and end kind of journey with the first book? Or are you looking to have her character arc reach down out to the end of the third book? Well, I definitely think it will continue out into the series, but there has been, you know, there still is a kind of a little mini character arc in this first book. I mean, definitely see the main character, Riley, transform and start to let people in and just change for the better and become a little bit more trusting and strong and trust herself. But I think that will definitely continue throughout the books. I I can't say that I think the first book, I know that you had talked about this before with your series. I want, for for publishing reasons, I would like my first book to be able to stand alone. But I don't want to give everything away. And there's so much more that I have left to say. And I'm almost done with my draft. So I, I don't know how well I'll be able to do that. And I'm just hoping my story is good enough that whoever reads it will want to read more. So... Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to have you on so early in your journey when you're still working on that first manuscript, because that's the point that a lot of people stop. They can't move past that point. So it's just interesting to hear the perspective of someone there. And I, the reason I wanted to have you on is just because I have a sense from knowing you behind the scenes that you mean business that you're going to see this thing through. I love that you express fear too. Like, ah, I don't know what I'm doing with this chapter. I'm freaking out. But you keep moving forward. And and you, like you hopped on Twitter with so much intention. You're like, oh, I am the author of The Mimic. And, and, <laughs> and then you tapped right into that community in such a interesting way. Like people responded to you very quickly. You were using- All the hashtags. The hashtags. Yep. But people mm-hmm. were finding you through the hashtags. And I thought, okay, yeah. Like she's actually going to go through with this. Twitter has been- monumental in my journey because I don't know I mean other than you I don't know any other writers so I didn't know if what I was feeling was even you know normal if it was normal to be this late in the game and have so many questions to be so close to finishing this this first draft trying to get this manuscript done and still being unsure and I think that that uncertainty kept me from starting this book a long time ago. I don't know if it would have been this exact book, but I, you know, as long as I can remember, I had that, that feeling of what if I could be an author, but I would tell myself, but why me? What makes me think that I could do it? And then I think, but why not me? Absolutely. You know, I, yeah, I've read books my whole life. I, you know, I write, I'd hope that I could do it. So and you have a story that you want to tell. Very much so. <laughs> well, what was the catalyst for that? Like, do you remember there being like a moment where you just gave yourself permission? Do you have a start date in your mind or just kind of like a moment where you're like, I think I'm actually going to go for this dream? I, I do. And it's kind of strange how it happened. So this this first draft originated 
as two paragraphs saved in my Google Docs describing my opening scene for a story that I had no idea what was, I, I had no idea what story I was even writing. I had a character and I felt compelled to write it and I did. And then it sat there for probably a year. And I had, I, I don't, I don't want to talk poorly about anybody, but um, I had a friend, a, a dear friend of mine for a long time, but unfortunately I just don't think that we were meant to continue onto the next phase of our life. And there were some things that, you know, I did, I realized I didn't quite want, or I, I got more clear on what I was expecting out of my friendships and I cut her off and it was horrible and sad. And I cried and cried. And then a week later, the strap just like flew out of me. I, I can't even explain it. So when people say to get rid of things, to make space for things in your life, I mean, I truly believe that because I go back and think, what if I would have started this draft while we were still friends? Would I have showed her it and gotten negative feedback and never continued? You know, the universe works in really miraculous ways. And I think Absolutely. that surrounding myself with supportive people has been the number one thing that actually got me to start this draft. That's a great tip for anybody who wants to pursue a dream. Not not go cut someone out of your life to create a vacuum. Right. <laughs> but I mean, if you notice, like if you're on the precipice of something and there's somebody in your life who you're in a toxic relationship with, if they tend to pick on you or they're just making you feel anything other than the way you want to feel on a consistent right. basis, it's worth taking a look at before you leap off that precipice. And then also, again, to look for people that can support you and that will support you. Right. I'm, and, and by no means am I saying, you know, I think that with friendships and relationships, there comes, there comes a level of forgiveness that you, that you have to accept, that you're going to have to give out at some point. Nobody will ever not disappoint you ever. You know, that you're going to end up being upset with somebody that you love at some point. I think that you were spot on when you said to think of the way that somebody makes you feel. When I thought about sharing my draft with this person, do I feel excited or do I feel scared? Do I feel small? Do I feel like dread? If Right. Like if I show this person this part of myself, um, I'm terrified it won't be accepted and then I won't try anymore. So I didn't really ever think the two things were related. It's not like I didn't start the draft because that person was in my life, but it just kind of turned out that way. And I don't know if it was, I was sad and the universe was like, here you go. You know, here's something else, like pour your love into this, something that's beneficial and, and will help you grow and help you feel proud of yourself. So yeah. I think your soul and the universe and, Spirit and whatever you want to call it knows how to take care of itself before your brain could even think of it. It's almost an automatic response in a way. You have to do the work, but it'll put you, the universe shoves you in the right direction. Not always so gently, but yeah, I love the way you put it that like your soul, it knows what it's doing before your brain has time to catch up. 
Totally. And, and the biggest thing, and I want to say this for anybody considering, I mean, I'm by no means an expert, but anybody considering creating anything and they're scared, starting was the absolute hardest part for me. To see my draft go from a thousand words to like, you know, tens of thousands of words, like that is the most empowering thing. And to look and know that I made that, this is all, this is all mine. And if I would have been too scared of failure to ever start, that that wouldn't even exist. I'd still be feeling like there's something else out there that I'm not quite grasping yet. Because that's how it's felt. You know, for for a few years, I was like, there's something that I need to be doing and I don't know what it is. And it was frustrating. And then, like, I started writing this draft and I, it almost felt, you know, divinely guided in a way. Yeah. Isn't it nice when you're a mom and you're a young mom? I mean, you're, you're yeah. young. You have a young child, I guess is what I want to say. Isn't it nice when you have something that's literally just yours when you are so busy taking care of someone else? It's just so great to have your own thing that's really just about you and your creativity. And it's not about like fetching someone a bowl of Cheerios. Yes. And I think I will scream this to mothers until my face turns blue because I believe it so deeply. You have to have, when you are a mom, you are giving so much of yourself and it is totally worth it but that doesn't mean it's not hard and when you give things away you have to fill yourself back up with those things that make you happy not as a mother but happy as a person and as a woman or or a man if you're a man you know but but just finding those things that make your heart sing that give you that feeling of excitement and like I could stay up until three in the morning writing this if I wanted to I think as we get older, it's really hard to find those things that kind of light you up. And when you do, like you have to hang on to it for dear life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sign. If it's lighting you up like that, to me, that is a neon red sign pointing like, here, this is for you. Take it. Yes. And and the universe, it's so funny how... It's, it's helped me along the way so much. Like one example that I could think of is when I first started writing the draft, I was probably maybe 10 chapters in. So I'm on, I'm 51 chapters in now, if that gives any indication. 51, five, one. Yes. Holy <laughs> shorter, <smart>. but yeah. <laughs> so I, I signed up for this writing conference. And then I started battling with myself. Like, do I want to go? Do I even want to do this? Am I even at the point now that I could even think about going to a conference and talking to other writers? What if they're all more experienced? And I remember telling Brandon, my fiance, the night before, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do this. I don't think I'm ready. This brings up a lot of fear for me. And the next day I got an email saying that I was one in four people out of like the couple hundred that attended that won a free editing consultation with one of the editors that they had on staff. And it was like the day after I was like, I'm not doing this. And then it was like, don't give up. And I went and it was fabulous. And I, that was like the, one of the catalysts, you know, that set me, like, I could really do this. I talked to an editor that 
is, is a professional in this field and she didn't laugh <laughs> and I didn't leave in tears. So it oh. couldn't, have, you know, like you, you think of worst case scenarios. I always hear people say, or, you know, you think of the what ifs, what if this draft isn't good? What if, what if I fail? What if nobody likes this? But then I'm training myself to say, what if people love it? What if yeah. I get published? What if this is my life's purpose? Switching the script on myself. Absolutely. And it, it truly can be as simple too as like, what if this changes me for the better? What if this gives me more confidence? What if this I, makes me feel more empowered to write the next one or start whatever the next project is going to be? There's so many what ifs that you can kind of get on that role of positive momentum and keep yourself going. Right. And, and it's, I always told myself too, when I started writing this, I say, I'm going to try to write this for myself. And if somebody ends up seeing it and loving it, um, that'd be great. But if not, I'll be happy. Um, even if I never send it to an agent, even if I never query but now I'm... Which you totally like, will because there's yeah. this lady named Joanna DeVoe that's going to have her foot on your butt and she's going to be like, go, 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 Emily, go. <laughs> and now that I think about it, I'm like, how could I ever consider not trying to get this published? I mean, not, not even saying... I, by no means is it at that point yet, but just the thought of putting this work in and not even giving myself a shot. Yeah. It, because that's a, a habit that I've had to overcome in my life is I can't, nothing can go wrong. It can't go poorly if I don't put myself out there. Uh, the way that you reason. phrased it, not uh, when you said not give, not giving myself this shot is so interesting because of just what you said. Like a lot of times we don't put ourselves out there because what if other people don't give us the shot that we want, but then we don't even give it to ourselves. It's exactly. Such a, it's such an ironic, painful shadow act of self sabotage, and it's so common. Oh, it totally is. I, I, if it were five years ago that you would have asked me to do an interview in front of all of these people, I, I, I don't know that I would have said no, but, but I could see myself like canceling or like freaking out beforehand or, or anything or finding a way for some reason why I can't do it. Yeah. Cause half the time I would convince myself it wasn't me self-sabotaging. It's oh, not my hundred percent. <laughs> it's not my fault. I didn't write this draft. I'm just, I need to, I need to read more books for a couple more years and so that I can know more, see all different styles and then I'll write the draft. It's not me keeping me from doing it. You know, that's the kind of, mentality that I had for a long time. I mean, I didn't get my license until I was 21. I'm only 24 now. So if that puts in perspective and it wasn't, I would never tell myself, people would ask like, why don't you get your license? Don't you want independence? Don't you want to drive? And I'd say, oh, it's not me. I just can't drive. I can't mm. do it. I can't do it. And I can do it. I'm a fine driver. I got my license. You know, it, if you allow yourself to act on every fear, you know, there's a difference between the self-sabotaging fear and fear for your safety. But, but if you act on your worst case scenario, it's almost like you're putting yourself through it twice. 
if, if it were to happen, like, what's the point, you know? I yeah. And you know, what's kind of fun to think about too, is you're breaking the seal here uh, in the most like gentle on the most goofy, friendly podcast. <laughs> so, that, <laughs> so that when your book is published, then, then you get to go around talking about your book. Hopefully on podcasts, you already, you already have an interview under your belt. Oh, that is the dream. It, it's so funny because First of all, I have to give a shout out to everybody on Discord because my goodness, I, I love those people. But one in particular, you probably know her as CGAB3, but I know her as Gabby. Your She's best my buddy. best friend since yeah. kindergarten. So we're almost at 20 years of friendship now. But I, rem- I was talking to her and I was telling her how nervous I was. And she's like, Emily, you have never had a problem talking to people. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> so, and it kind of put in perspective, like, why am I... Some, sometimes when I say you have to surround yourself to those people, like, you need those people that see you so truly for who you are that, like, they see you fully more than you even do sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, that's a nice that. contrast too. Because earlier we're talking about a friendship ending, and then here you are talking about this beautiful friendship that you've had since kindergarten. Oh yeah, if, if I believe in soulmates, like she is mine, and I know I know that sounds silly, but I truly believe in like soulmates as far as friendships do. Absolutely, and, um, yes. Everything you know we've been through in life, the other person was there, and it's funny to kind of have her on that journey with me because she actually is my beta reader. So she's the only one that's really seen hardly anything of the manuscript. I'm so terrified, to, not terrified, um, hesitant, I should say, to put it out there quite yet, um, yeah. even for, for other beta readers. But she's the one that I would trust to see it where it's like, it could be a complete joke and I wouldn't feel self-conscious. And and she's honest with me. So I'm very lucky to have her. Yay. Shout out to Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, have you thought about that question that I ask on all the episodes? Or, or is, it, is it too much to ask it of you, Miss Emily? It is not too much. I actually have been pondering it for well, since you asked me. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm going to ask you a fish. All right, Emily Barrett. What is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Stop getting in your own way. I, I cannot express how much, how much value that adds to my life. Because I think of all of the times that I saw as a failure, times that I considered myself to fall short and realized that it was just after those times that I you know, found something beautiful or I improved or I found the thing that really like brought my spark back. And I think that when we stop ourselves for fear of failure, I mean, you're keeping out the bad stuff supposedly, but you're keeping out really beautiful things too. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for doing this. I can't wait to see what happens with the mimic. I can't wait to read it when it comes out. Oh, same to you (laughs) for your book. You have no idea, but thank you so much for having me on the show. This is a little surreal for me still, but. (laughs) Oh, it was fun though, don't you think? 
Very, very fun. It was fun. And now we have broken the seal on Emily Barrett interviews. Many more to come once she's a fabulous published (laughs) author. And that is it, my friends. That is our hiatus episode. I don't know if you were paying attention or if you remember on the last episode, I said that I'm taking these podcasts seasonally, and I am. I am. I'm going to be doing them Launching like a six-week-ish, I say-ish, we'll see how it goes, six-week-ish run at every transition point. So for Imolk, I'll be launching us into the spring transition. For the length of the spring transition, I'll be doing the podcast. And then after the equinox, I'll go on another hiatus. But because that's happening in roughly six-week increments, I still want to keep up with the patron of the month. The interview that I just shared was that for January. So I thought, cool, then I'll just pop in during my hiatus to do one of these rambly episodes and to share the patron of the month interview. So that's what this was. And then the official first season ever of Hippie Witch will start very, very soon, very soon. Imok is here. It's time. I also want to say some of you, I said this summer, I'm actually going to be getting rid of a lot of the early content here on the podcast because I can do better. I used to call into the show live, my own show. I called in live on a telephone. So the sound is super janky and not at all quality. And I didn't have the same confidence level. I've changed my mind about certain ideas. So I want to take those old episodes down. And I actually got a tremendous amount of pushback. Like, no, don't do it. So I took a pause before I did it to really think about it and to consider all of the objections that I received, and I'm still going to do it. (laughs) I just want to. It's the way I want to present the podcast going forward. But what I will do is I will leave old favorites up, some old favorite episodes that people continually tell me that they love. I will go back through and leave those up. I will leave the interviews up, and that'll be that. So that'll be happening at some point as well when I have the time to do that. And I just wanted to give you a fair shout out. I did put that project on hold, but I'm telling you, it's actually definitely for sure going to happen because I am the queen of my own life. And that is the way that I want to represent my podcast going forward, especially now that I'm launching it seasonally. It feels like feels like a fresh a fresh start the same old podcast but with with a new a new format and I'm excited about going forward this way so I hope 2020 is treating you amazingly well so far until we meet again much love to you peace